Hey y'all, welcome back for part two of the 2022 Halloween Kaidan. The first story in part two comes from our own Jack Townsend. When I was a little kid, sometimes I had trouble falling asleep. Every now and then, I got restless legs and I would get out of bed and start walking around. One night, my dad took me back to the bed and then he told me a story about a monster. A monster that lived beneath my bed. He told me that anytime I got out of the bed, the monster could get me. It could grab me and pull me under and eat me. And the only way I was safe was if I stayed in the bed after bedtime. I thought he was just full of it. A few nights later though, I got the restless legs again. It was in that moment where you're kind of halfway between awake and asleep. I was a little bit delirious, wasn't really sure if I was dreaming or not, but all I knew was that there was supposed to be a monster under my bed. So I leaned over and I whispered, is anybody down there? I wasn't expecting to hear anything, but then, yes. I was a little too tired to really register what had just happened. So I started a conversation. Are you the monster that lives under my bed? I'm not a monster. I'm the one who protects you from the monsters. What's your name? You can call me Darkness. The next morning when I woke up, I checked underneath my bed to see if there was anyone or anything there. It was empty, so obviously I just imagined the whole thing. But then that night, when I couldn't fall asleep, I leaned over the bed again. Darkness? Are you down there? Yes. Can you tell me a story? Yes. Over the next few nights, I would fall asleep to the same routine, asking Darkness for a story, listening to him as I drifted off into dreams. About a week later, something different happened. It was very late when I heard Darkness. Wake up. Yes? You have to get out of the house. Why? There's a real monster. It's in your house. You have to leave now. What about my parents? I'm so sorry. It's already gotten your parents. My parents are dead? You have to leave the house now. It's coming for you. If you don't leave now, I, I, I can't. You have to. You have to be strong. I, okay, I... The lights turned on. My dad was standing there. Who are you talking to? I was talking to... I heard a voice in here. Who was that? It's... it's the, the... the... the monster under my bed you were telling me about. My dad bent down and looked underneath the bed. There's nobody here. Oh. Oh God. He grabbed me and carried me out of the room. The next thing I knew, there were flashing lights outside the window. It was a few years later before my dad told me what he actually found under my bed. Someone had drilled a hole through the floor. Someone had been in the crawl space under my bed, whispering to me through the hole, telling me his name was Darkness, biding his time trying to get me to open the door so I could go outside. All the occurrences I'm about to tell you are true things that happened while I was living with my parents. So me and my family lived in the house that 
aside from having weird things buried in the backyard, was relatively normal. It wasn't until strange occurrences like unworldly voices, doors slamming, and drawers opening did we start to think that there was maybe something more paranormal involved. Some of the core memories that stuck with me were as follows. Once I passed by the door leading to our garage that was so heavy and rusted that practically no one could fully close it all the way, at least until the one time I passed by it and it slammed shut completely on its own. This door had been slammed so hard that it took my dad a couple minutes to pry it out of its metal frame. Another thing was that I felt an unexplainable feeling of dread whenever I went to sleep in my room, and only my room, and whenever I tried to go to sleep, I would hear voices outside each of my windows feverishly discussing something as if it's important and something bad was about to happen, but I could never understand what they were saying. It sounded like English, but also gibberish at the same time. For a couple days in a row, my mother and I also heard guttural demonic howling outside our window when there was no animals or vehicles anywhere in sight. And there's no other way to describe this sound as anything other than a horror movie sound effect. But despite all that, my mother really never believed me when it came to all my paranormal experiences, and it wasn't until one day when she told me to get a skirt to wear for Easter Sunday that she finally believed me. When I went to get the skirt, she looked at me weird and claimed to hear another person talking in our conversation despite it just being the two of us. So I asked her, was this voice kind of masculine and did it sound like he was speaking through a radio? And she goes, yeah. I told her, well, that's the voice I've been hearing outside my window for years now that you always brushed off as my imagination. After that, my mom actually tried to perform an exorcism on the house, which didn't really get rid of any of the paranormal activity, but it did slow down a few years later until I finally moved out. That story came from Rosalind Sterling, who you can find on Instagram as blues underscore story underscore corner. Our next storyteller comes from No Sleep on Reddit, where they go by Saturday. The dinner guests are on their third glass of wine. Chauncey is telling work stories while Miranda is showing off her Instagram reels. Mario is half asleep, reminiscing about his ex. He is completely ignorant to the looks he's been getting from Helen from across the table. And me? I'm being eaten alive. A dinner with friends is not supposed to be dangerous. Base jumping, skydiving, swimming with sharks, that's what gets the blood pumping. Real impending undeniable danger, but a dinner with friends? No, that's, that's just a pastime. No one expects the mundane to turn to horror until it does. I'm screaming. My mind is here begging for someone to help, for someone to sense that something is wrong, for someone to realize that I'm not back from the bathroom and that there's a stiff breeze coming from a broken window. I'm being dragged through the woods like a chicken succumbing to a fox. This strange, unassuming woman was just another party guest. A plus one. One of Miranda's friends. A woman with intricately detailed hair and an affordable white Lacoste dress. Her stylish white leather purse is stained with blood as she drags me into the woods. I try not to think about it. I try not to be there. I try not to see her excited eyes moving independently of one another. Her jaw extended like a python. Dainty fingers sharpened into rending claws pressing against my ribcage, and her eager suckling draining the blood and marrow from my collarbone. My mind is still inside the house, screaming for help. A guttural, animalistic cry, and none of my tribesmen can sense me. The struggle is over. My neck snaps. 
as she eats me alive. I was scrolling YouTube when I saw the channel pop up on my feed. It said recommended for you beneath a dark thumbnail image. Something about it called out to me, and I clicked on it unthinkingly. A loud baritone voice began to speak, filling my living room with sound. Strangely, I can't remember what it said, only the deep, entrancing way in which it spoke, and the insidious pain of it boring into my brain like a dentist drill during a root canal. It was painful, but new and exciting. It's hard to explain, but I suppose the sensation could be compared to eating spicy food or some other less PG-13 activities. Hurts so good, as they say. My head was swimming with endorphins and adrenaline, and all I wanted to do was watch the video again. So I clicked the replay button. My head was buzzing afterwards, my ears ringing. A warm trickle of something wet was leaking from each side of my head, and I raised my fingers to touch the dampness of blood running down my cheeks, both from my ears and my eyes. I remember laughing then, the reverberations of my demented chuckle ringing off the walls of my living room as I stared at the blank black screen and the replay button waiting to be clicked, begging for it. My teeth hurt. My knees were wobbling and my hands were shaking as I maneuvered the mouse to click on the elusive button to give me another fix, another hit, another bump, pain and power, and something clinked as it hit the floor. The video was over again. I looked down to see not one, but several of my teeth had fallen out without me noticing. They sat on the floor, staring up at me. Watch it again, my bloody molar said. I hit the button and the video began to play once more. And after that, I must have watched it again, several dozen more times, in fact. When I opened my eyes and looked around, I saw that it was morning. Birds were making high, cheerful, chirping noises from just outside. They would enjoy this too, I thought. Everyone needs to see this. So I sent the link to everyone I knew and then began moving furniture. With an extension cord, I hooked up the big TV outside on my front lawn. My eyes were tired and were closing involuntarily. Blood was dripping from the holes where my teeth had been and was running from my ears and eyes. I left footprints everywhere as I limped in and out, getting everything set up. But finally it was done. A small crowd of neighbors had gathered, seeing my bloody progress and wondering what I was up to. Watch, I said, hitting play. You're gonna love this. That story came from Jordan Group. The next one is from our own Matthew Morris. And content warning, there's some self-harm in this story. Many years ago, before we started the Snake's Paw, Andrew and Jack and I worked at an old historic home that had a reputation for being haunted. When we have a job like that, when you give tours at a haunted locale, you become aware of the stories behind the stories, like the real history behind everything. You get to know that there are embellishments that are made for dramatic purposes. There are narrative details that are tweaked for the convenience of storytelling. And so a lot of these stories have, there's something phony in them, even if the story itself is rooted in at least some kind of history. But there's one ghost story we heard while working at this place that always stayed with me 
because it was a story that we explicitly were not allowed to tell to people who were on the tours at this place. Now, this is partly because the story didn't directly involve the house where we worked. There's another house nearby in the woods, which is owned by the same family who owned the place where we worked. They didn't want people snooping around their property, which is, of course, perfectly reasonable. That's why we weren't allowed to tell the story. However, it also felt like we weren't allowed to tell it because it felt too real. The events of the story were far more recent than the stories that we told on the tour, which you know, date back to, like, dated back to the 1800s. It also felt very emotionally raw in a way that ghost stories seldom do. So we were working at this place just a couple years after Hurricane Katrina had hit and had devastated New Orleans. And of course, when that happened, basically the entire city was displaced for a period of time. As tens of thousands of people were displaced for years. Some people ended up never coming back. And the family who owned these two houses had a friend who lived in New Orleans. Now, not only had this guy lost his home and everything that he owned in the flood, He'd also, before Katrina hit, he'd been through a divorce. So he had like tragedy on top of tragedy. He had lost his family, he lost his home, he lost everything. And so he was just cast adrift. His future was like deeply uncertain to him at that moment in his life. And he was despairing, he wasn't sure what to do. And the family wanted to help them out in any way that they could. So they said, hey, we have this house. They lived out of state. They weren't using the place as unoccupied. They said, you can stay there for as long as you need to to get back on your feet. For the foreseeable future, you can consider it your house. And he was really grateful. He lived there for, he was living there for many months. But while he was living there, he wasn't up to much. He was just kind of there alone at the house. He'd hang out on the patio by the pool and drink a lot. Kind of lost in his own thoughts. And the only person he interacted with much, he barely went into town, only if he needed to grab groceries or something like that. So the one person he'd see was the caretaker, who'd come by once or twice a week to do work around the house, mostly in the lawn around the house. So he'd mow, rake, he'd clean the pool, stuff like that. They had a very casual relationship. They didn't talk in any detail. They said hey to each other. The guy would sometimes ask if he needed anything. He could pick him up something. He'd be back in a few days. That's about the extent of their relationship. Sometimes when the caretaker came out, he wouldn't even see the guy. He'd just hear music playing. They had a entertainment center built into the back of their patio. There's a radio and had big speakers and he'd just have like music blaring when he's out there drinking by the pool. And so he'd be mowing the lawn and then he'd, he'd hear music just all over the property, even in the woods around the property. So he'd know the guy was there drinking even if he didn't see him. And one time he's there, he's working, he's finishing up work, and he figures, I'll go see if he needs anything from in town. Goes around to the back patio and finds the guy hanged from the live oak branch that stretches over their pool. And of course he calls the police to take down the body. They go through all the necessary routines. And the guy's shaken, of course, but Next week, he's gonna go back to the house and do more work. And when he pulls into the driveway, he hears music blaring. He goes around to the back patio and there's no one around. Turns off the radio, does his work, does what he needs to do, 
leaves, comes back a few days later. The radio is playing, goes around to the back patio. There's no one there, turns it off, does his work, leaves, comes back a few days later, music, and he can't deal with it anymore. He just quits. They have to find someone else to take care of the chores around the house. So over the summer, I was a counselor at this cultural camp, and we had to go through a three-day training at the campsite. Now, we had been cooped up in a conference room all day, so we had decided to go play sardines, and it was like nine o'clock at night at this point, so it was dark. So we all go up to this boy's cabin, we send off the hider, and we have five minutes, then we all go off to go find him. Now, all my friends started going on this trail, and they were clumped together, but I noticed that nobody was going towards this big open field, so I dart off my flashlight, and I just start heading towards the field. Now I get walking along the tree line and then all of a sudden I start hearing footsteps behind me. I turn around, check, nobody's there, so I keep going. Get a little further, hear more footsteps, turn around, check, nobody's there again. So I keep walking and I round a corner and all of a sudden I hear, hey, hey, in here, come here. And so I start looking at the tree line, start shining my flashlight around, nobody's there. Keep walking, keep hearing footsteps starting to really think that somebody's messing with me, but then I hear, hey, hey, Jigay, come here. Now, this is what really scares me, because I hadn't told anybody there my cultural name, which is Jigay, and so nobody there knew it. And also, the voice had gone from being a male voice to, like, a prepubescent teen to a kid. And so I was freaking out at this point. <laughs> and so I was like, if I can just get back to the place where there is the one place where there's light, I'll be okay. And so I start booking it along the tree line. Um, but I get almost there and I get right past these bleachers and all of a sudden I hear, hey, Ella, Ella, come here. And I start freaking out because this time it sounds like my friend who I who was hiding. And I was like, oh, hey, who are, show me, fly, shine your flashlight on your face, do something, <laughs> prove that you're him. And so he shines the flashlight on my face and I book it into the tree line because I was so terrified and I hid there with him for the rest of the game, nobody found us, and so we won the game, but I was scared out of my mind, and I couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> that story came to us from Ella. Ella also told us via email that this sounded like the work of creatures called the little people. Ella said, they are tricksters who have a history of messing with people, and have been known to play around with people at the camp where I was working. I was looking for a book to read. And I noticed one on the shelf that I hadn't seen before. I picked it up and I started to read it. And as I was scanning through the pages, I really started to enjoy the story. But I realized something else. The book was reading me as I was reading it. It understood who I was. It knew my weaknesses. And it knew how to keep me hooked. The story started to invade my brain. It kept me awake at night and wrecked my life. After a while, I thought the lingering effects of this book were over, but then just as soon as it stopped, it came back. 
staying up all night rereading it, thinking about it every single day, obsessing over every tiny plot point. The book started to become my life, my curse. This book, should you ever find it, do not read it. If you ever pick up a copy of Tales from the Gas Station, just put it down. No good can come from reading that book. And that final story came to us from Ginny Brown. And for the record, Matthew and I overruled Jack and required that it be included. We'd love to hear what you thought. Find us at The Snake's Paw at YouTube, Instagram, and SoundCloud. Support the show at ko-fi.com slash thesnakespaw. And find links to everything at thesnakespaw.com. Talk to you all soon.